You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we have UFC Fight Night, Holland versus Brunson, preview predictions and analysis. In the main event of the evening, you've got two top 10 ranked middleweight contenders going up, trying to climb their way up the 185-pound ladder. That is the surging on a hot streak. Kevin Trailblazer Holland going up against former top contender, holding some wins over former GOAT Anderson the Spider Silva and many, many more. That is Derek Brunson. Then in the co-main event of the evening in the lightweight division, you've got a battle between a number 15 ranked Gregor the Gift Gillespie, who holds a almost perfect professional mixed martial arts record of 13 victories and one defeat going up against surging City kickboxing standout, amazing striker, and on his way up that ladder, just like his teammates Dan Hooker and Israel Adesanya, that is Brad Quake Riddell. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, guys, how's everybody doing today? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry that this is kind of, I've been kind of MIA the last couple weeks. I've had a lot of stuff I've had to you know, deal with a lot of stuff going on. So we're back now, and I wanted to get these predictions out before the fight night tomorrow. Yes, I know I didn't do a recap on UFC 259. Um, that will probably be in another episode because I'd like to talk about the huge fight announcements we've got over the past couple days and then obviously do predictions for this card that takes place tomorrow. Um, I will have a recap of UFC 259, what I thought about the Aljamain Sterling and Piotr Jan incident, I guess you would call it, and, uh, you know, a couple other things. And then obviously probably a recap of the Edwards versus Muhammad card. And then we can deep dive a little bit more on some of the recent fights that got announced because over the last 24 hours, um, a lot of stuff has, has come at us in the MMA community. I mean, a pair of huge matchups at 135 pounds. One fight just got announced at 185 pounds between a former top contender and a rising prospect who lost to one of the men in the main event in Derek Brunson. Um, that's going to be Edmund Shabazian versus Jack Hermanson. So there's a lot of stuff we have to talk about. There's a lot of stuff we have to go over. Um, I guess we'll start out with the fight announcements for the 135-pound bantamweight division, and then obviously what's going on with Habib and the lightweight division. So first off, we got an announcement. Cody Garbrandt is back, and he's going up against a man coming off a huge victory over Magic Marlon Moraes and Rob Font. And that is a phenomenal fight. It's going to be the main event on, I want to say, May 22nd. Let me see. Hold on. Pull it up. Cody. Garbrandt. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cody Garbrandt versus Rob Font will headline the UFC Fight Night event on May 22nd. So um, a, a great main event and a big, big test for Rob Font and a not-so-easy fight for Cody Garbrandt. You guys know I'm, I'm a big fan of Rob. He's been on the podcast twice. We've talked to his striking coach, Jake Manini. He was actually on my last podcast episode where we uh, did a deep dive on the UFC 259 card and broke it down from a more technical aspect than – you know, most people out there getting somebody's input who has fought in Muay Thai, who has trained some of the best fighters in the world. It was it was a good time sitting down and talking to Jake. Um, we've talked to Tyson Chartier. Hopefully we can get him on again soon. I'm going to try to reach out to him and see if we can get that going. But yeah, Rob Font versus Cody Garbrandt. 
it's a battle of two of the best boxers in the 135 pound division. And when it comes to who's the more well-rounded guy, I, w- I would give the advantage slightly to Garbrandt in terms of overall well-roundedness and who can take the fight more places. I think that Rob Font's wrestling is good. I think his defensive wrestling is good. I think he's got good scrambles on the ground. He's got some good work from guard. He doesn't tend to try to get a lot of submissions, but he can work off of his back. Garbrandt is a finisher. We saw him after three back-to-back-to-back losses come back and finally get a win against a former top contender in Rafael Asuncao, who you know has kind of fallen off in recent in recent memory. But if Garbrandt can come back and get another win over Rob Font, who just knocked out the number three ranked guy, I believe, in Magic Marlon Moraes, you know that's a that's a big win for him, and it's it's a huge win for Rob Font. If Font beats the former champion and Cody Garbrandt, I mean he's right there for a title shot or get the winner of another fight we're going to talk about a little bit, and that is the return of the former bantamweight champion after a two-year suspension. That is uh, TJ Dillashaw versus the number one contender in that division, in my eyes, um, coming off another, a huge win over Magic Marlon Moraes, and then another phenomenal flying knee knockout over the legend, former lightweight champion Frankie Edgar, that is Corey the Sandman Sandhagen. So we've got Sandhagen versus Dillashaw, former teammates looking to uh, stake their claim. Dillashaw looking to come back and reclaim the belt that he never lost. He had to give it up due to a suspension. He uh, he had tested positive for EPO, which was erythropoietin, I believe. So that is a, that's a blood doping type of drug. I don't know a whole lot about it, so I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know everything about it. But what I think it does is it gives you endless amounts of cardio because it ups your the amount of oxygen or it ups the amount of red blood cells in your body and it allows you to take in more oxygen which in turn will affect your cardio output and how long you can keep a certain pace going that's that's kind of like a bioweapon for mixed martial arts if you've got the gas tank and you can set a pace that nobody can keep up with then it's obviously going to be a problem he said he had taken it because he had to cut such a drastic amount of weight for his Henry Cejudo fight, which was the last time we saw him, which was January 19th, 2019. So, you know, who knows? But, you know, you take that drug. He he admitted it. He said that he took it partially because of the drastic weight cut he had to deal with, but he still did it. And will Dillashaw look different? Um, he looks really good in his training footage. I've seen some footage of him, you know, switching stances, using that same side high kick he likes to use, a lot of footwork, a lot of fakes and feints, you know, the darting right hand or the shifting right hand or, you know, he looks good in training, but how is that going to translate into the cage against a guy who obviously former training partner of Dillashaw, Corey Sandhagen out at Elevation Fight Team, he has phenomenal footwork, ability to change direction and switch stances as he circles around the cage and cut you off. Good kicks from either side. I'm a spinning wheel kick that knocked out you know, Magic Marlon Marais was so that that's crazy to be able to get a finish like that. Um, a flying knee off Frankie Edgar as he was getting him to circle towards that knee. He would fake, fake, woo, and then jump as he looked like he was going to lower his level and either go for a takedown or work the body shots. Sandhagen just jumped right in and boom, landed that flying knee and uh, put Frankie Edgar's lights out. And I think about like 20 or 30 seconds. So, you know, he's dangerous. And this is a very, very dangerous fight for Dillashaw to come back. They're not giving him an easy win. He's not going to go in and fight for the title after coming back off of a two-year suspension. So, yes, he's got to come back and fight the best of the best, and that's Corey Sandhagen right now. 
And I think uh, I think Sandhagen's going to get this one done. Obviously, I'll have predictions and probably a deeper analysis as the podcast, you know, moves on. But I do believe that Sandhagen wins that fight. I think that we're going to see a drastically different Dillashaw. Now, again, we don't know if the Cejudo fight was the only fight that he took. The EPO was the only fight he was on the performance enhancing drugs. But you know, Cody Garbrandt has insinuated that. You know, he was on the ship for a long time. He was on the drugs. He was on the EPO. And, uh, you know, we don't know. They have a rivalry, so you can't take that 100%. But he was a former teammate of Dillashaw, so, you know, he would know what was going on. But it's going to be interesting to see. And this is kind of a must-win for TJ because if you come in here against Sandhagen and you get destroyed, then it kind of puts your whole legacy as a champion in, in question because he fought Garbrandt twice. He beat Garbrandt twice. First one was closer. Garbrandt knocked him down. If there was more time in the, at the end of that first round, he could have got a finish, but he ended up catching him in the second round and knocking him out. And then in the second fight, they got into a war, got into exchanges. Garbrandt was a little too emotional, and he knocked him out again, that time in the first round. So it's an interesting fight because let's say Dillashaw comes in and he loses to Sandhagen. If, if Garbrandt comes out and beats Rob Font, then will we do Garbrandt versus Sandhagen or will we, or no, if he loses to Rob Font, so Font beats him, we'll probably get Font versus Sandhagen. If they lose, then we might get Dillashaw versus Garbrandt three. And if they fight again and Garbrandt knocks out Dillashaw, which we know he's got the ability to do, then, you know, that does kind of throw Dillashaw's entire legacy and his entire MMA career into question because how long was he on the, the EPO. How long did he take supplements and and performance enhancers to impact his performance in professional mixed martial arts? And that's something we don't know. This fight's going to answer a lot of questions. Maybe Dillashaw comes out here and puts Sandhagen away and makes it look easy. And then we're like, okay, well, you know, I guess we can't say anything about him because he came out against the top guy and he beat him. So that's a phenomenal fight. And it's going to be a great matchup and I can't wait for it. I have advocated for that fight to happen multiple times on this podcast. I have said we need Dillashaw versus Sandhagen. It has to happen. It has to happen. And I think it does. And it's obviously going to happen on May 22nd. So, um, or, uh, I'm sorry. Is it, it's May 15th, I believe. So I think the 15th is Dillashaw versus Sandhagen, and then the 22nd, the main event, is Garbrandt versus Rob Font. So it's back-to-back bantamweight main events. They're kind of figuring out that div- division. Obviously, after the the disqualification with, you know, Eljamain Sterling and Piotr Jan, Eljamain's the champion, but is he really the champion? Yes, technically, because, you know, Peter Jan made the mistake and cost himself the title, so you make a mistake, you got to pay for it. But I have a feeling we're going to run that back. you got to run back Aljamain versus Piotr Jan. I think Jan definitely beats Aljamain in a rematch. I know I heard some people say they thought Aljamain was winning the fight on points. They thought he was winning the rounds. Um, I don't know what fight you were watching. He did probably win the first round. But even the round that looked like he was winning, he got dropped. You know, Aljamain uh, kind of had that side stance, shoulder roll kind of defense like a Floyd Mayweather. And he got caught with a right hand. Boom, dropped. And... Uh, you know, he got dropped by Jan. He only got one out of 18 takedowns. Jan won seven for seven um, against a guy who was probably the best wrestler at 135 pounds. So I don't really see any way 
that people could honestly say that Eljamain won that fight. And I don't really see a way for Eljamain to win that fight in a rematch because if your main weapon, which is your pace, your pressure, and your takedowns, only got to Jan for a certain amount of time, and eventually he picked up on it and started, you know, taking you apart, then it's kind of an issue. You know, Eljamain was falling off. He was getting tired. And I believe if it went to that fifth round, we would have gotten a TKO and Jan would still be the champion and we would be moving on from here. But since we can't do that, I know Eljamain saying, you know, I want to fight Cejudo. I want to fight Cejudo. No, fuck that. No Cejudo. None of that. You need to rematch Peter Jan. And that's how it has to be. I mean, Jan has looked phenomenal in his UFC career. He had a great fight against Aldo and finished him late in the rounds. And that's what I thought was going to happen. If you go back and listen to my preview show on 259, I thought that Jan was going to have trouble in the first couple of rounds. I thought he was going to have trouble, you know, kind of just he was going to sit there, cover up, and let Eljamain kind of overexert himself and then pick it up at the end of the rounds. And as the fight went going, kept on going. And that's what happened. You know, he waited, waited a little bit, waited until he got the, th the time, and then he would boom, counter one, two, three, two, um, land the takedowns, a lot of trips. There was a point where he went for a low kick and then he combined it with an outside trip or an inside reap takedown. Um, phenomenal stuff from Jan there. And uh, just the takedowns and the, the ability to just throw Aljamain around like a rag doll. And his defensive, his takedown defense was phenomenal. I mean, balancing on one leg, getting the underhooks, turning the corner, um, getting a sprawl, and then getting back up to the feet. Um, the, the position where the, the, the DQ happened was a position where Aljamain where Jan had already been in that fight before. So it's kind of weird that he chose to throw the knee, but he did look to his corner and say, like, can I throw the knee? One cornerman said, just punch, just punch him back up. And the other one said knee. So he got two different, you know, he got two different um, explanations. He went with the wrong one. It cost him his title. They'll rematch, and we'll obviously see what happens with uh, the rematch. I think Jan walks through Aljamain in the rematch. I think it's... I think it's close in the first couple rounds, like the first fight, but I mean, I think it's clear that Jan is the best 135 pounder on the planet right now. Um, there were a lot of people doubting him going into that Eljamain Sterling fight. I was not one of them. The doubters were right technically because Eljamain did get the belt, but they still were wrong in a sense because of how, you know, how good Jan was looking and how much he was taking over that fight and his takedown defense and his combinations and the ability to knock down Eljamain Sterling, land some good combinations, push him back, inside trips, takedowns, throws, suplexes. Everything was working in Jan's favor. But obviously, you know, he showed no mercy and it ended up costing him and now he has no belt. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully we get a rematch in May or June. Maybe save it for International Fight Week, Eljamain versus Jan 2. Sterling versus Jan 2 for the Bantamweight Championship. I think that's what we're going to see. So that'll be interesting. Um, I talked a little bit about Font and Garbrandt. I think if I break it down quickly, because we have to get to these predictions, um, the jab of Rob Font is going to be a big weapon for him. He's going to want to fake and faint and keep Garbrandt at the end of his jab and then get him to get emotional, come in and try to land brutal combinations, drop his hands, and then catch him with a combination, whether it's the 1-1-3 one, one, uppercut, the one, one, two, three uppercut rip to the body. I mean, there's a lot of different combinations, but the best weapon that Rob Font uses is his jab. And I think if Garbrandt can't get past that, then it's going to be a problem for him. And Rob Font can definitely knock out Garbrandt. We've seen Garbrandt get knocked out before. Um, if you look at the fight for Garbrandt, he's got to fight like he did against a Sun Tzu. He's got to constantly be moving, faking and fainting. Boom, pop the jab, blah, 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 throw a combination and move. Use his kicking game. He's got, a, he's got good front kicks. He's got good round kicks. 
Um, he's got a good wrestling game. I think if he tries to use the wrestling, mix in the wrestling with the striking, he can throw off Rob Font and make it harder for him to get his footing and get the range down for the jab and the one-two and the hooks and everything that he needs to land from a boxing range. I think if Garbrandt can mix it between kicking and punching range, he can get the win. If it stays in boxing range for the whole fight, it's an even fight. Both guys can land power. I think Garbrandt's definitely the faster guy. And he has more power, but Rob Font is the cleaner guy. So the cleaner striker ends up having more power because their their shots are so clean and technical and there's really no wind-up on the jab and the one-two that Rob Font throws. So it's a great fight. I'm leaning towards um, I'm leaning towards Rob right now. Um, I don't know. Obviously, my prediction will probably change. It could be completely different in a, in a little bit. So we'll definitely see what happens. And uh, yeah, you know, Dillashaw versus Garb or uh, Dillashaw versus Sandhagen. I'm leaning towards Sandhagen to get that win. I think he knocks out Dillashaw. Um, it's going to be interesting. I'm really excited for both of those fights. We've got a fight coming up with Edmund Shabazian and Jack Hermanson, which is at UFC 262. That just got announced today, so that's a great fight. We've got the finally figured out what's happening with the lightweight division. Khabib is officially retired. He's not coming back. He's done. So for the vacant lightweight championship, we're going to have not Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. We're going to have... Charles Dobronx Oliveira versus Michael Chandler. So Chandler only his second fight in the UFC and he is going for the gold. You know, he said always, I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. Well, he's making use of it after that vicious first round knockout against, um, against Dan Hooker, where he threw the right to the body, stepped through into Southpaw and then landed that left hook. Um, he dropped him, finished him off. It looked like he got hit with a good, like a gunshot right to the face. So, that's going to be interesting. And Dubronx Oliveira, he's on a streak um, coming off his last victory over Tony Ferguson. Before that, a submission victory over Kevin Lee. So two great wins there for him. Um, I think this is a great fight. I think it's a close fight. I think that the power and the speed of Chandler is so dangerous for Oliveira in the first couple rounds. If Chandler wins this fight, it's going to be either first or second round via knockout. Um, I think the longer the fight goes, if Oliveira can start landing his front kicks to the body and his uh, his knees and his one-twos, and landing that front kick to the body is going to be a big problem for um, Michael Chandler. But to be honest, I am leaning heavily towards Michael Chandler to beat Charles Oliveira. I think it's a bad matchup for him. Uh, we've seen Michael Chandler get hurt. You know, he can get hurt with some combinations. Oliveira's striking has gotten leaps and bounds better. Um, I think the wrestling obviously favors Chandler. I think the jiu-jitsu favors Oliveira, which is pretty obvious. But Oliveira does have some good wrestling himself. But he can get taken down. But once he gets taken down, it's just armbar to triangle to omoplata, back to triangle, back to armbar. And he's going to keep chaining these submission attempts together until he can get up to a hip and get back up to his feet. Or, you know, the, the wrestling of Chandler can play right into the game of Charles Oliveira. The head on the outside double legs or head on the outside singles can leave his head open and his neck open for a guillotine like he did against Kevin Lee. And we've seen that even it doesn't take long for Charles Oliveira to get a submission once he has a hold of your head and your neck. So it's obviously going to be a problem for him. So it's a great fight, but I am leaning towards uh, Iron Michael Chandler right now as we speak. All right, let's get into the predictions for UFC Fight Night Holland versus Brunson taking place this Saturday, March 20th. Uh, you know, a phenomenal main event and, and a great co-main event. That's where we're going to spend a lot of our time 
discussing this card. And as you know, we don't ever really break down the full card. We, we did have a fight between Dantel Mays and Taitu Avasa. Um, Mays got taken out of the fight. I think it was due to COVID or, or some other illness. So that fight is not taking place. Tuavasa got a newcomer to the UFC who's a former champion in another organization. His name escapes me, but because of that, we're going to skip this fight, and we're just going to talk about the four remaining fights on the main card. So we're going to start it off in the welterweight division with Kanan Song, who holds a record of 16 victories and five defeats, going up against a longtime veteran in the UFC. Um, has had some good wins, had a couple losses, you know, kind of hasn't found his footing 100% in the UFC has a victory over Mike Perry, um, a close fight with Alex Morano, a win in his last fight, I think, against Ramazan Amiv, I think, or here, hold on, who was his last win? And that is, uh, that's Max Payne Griffin. So we got Max Payne Griffin versus Kanan Song, um, 16 and 5 for Kanan Song to 16 and 8 for Max Griffin. Let's check Max Griffin's last fight. He has a victory via knockout in the third round at two minutes and three seconds over Rami's Brahimaj. So good victory for him there. Before that, he lost a decision to Alex Oliveira. Prior to that, he lost to Alex Morano via decision. He beat Zalim Imadayev via decision, which is a good win for him, but Imadayev just really couldn't get his footing in the UFC. He lost via decision to Tiago Elvez. And then prior to that, he lost to Curtis Millinder via decision. He beat Mike Perry via decision. Um, he lost to Elizzie Zaleski Dos Santos via decision. And then let's go back to 2016. He beat Eric Montano via knockout. He lost to Colby Covington via a knockout. So he has fought some good guys, including Colby Covington, um, you know, Ramiz Brahimai, good, good fighter, uh, you know, lost to Alex Oliveira, beat Mike Perry, fought Alex Morano. So he's been kind of in and out in the UFC. I think overall he's four and six. Let's see. He's got a win over. So one, one and one, one and two, one and three, two and three, two and four, three and four, three and five. Four and five, four and six. Uh, four and six. Okay. So he's four and six in the UFC. So coming into this fight against a guy in Kanan Song who I believe has only lost. Hold on. He beat Derek Krantz via decision. He's just coming off a knockout victory over Callan Potter. Um, he's got some very, very solid hands in the UFC. Uh, let's see. He beat Kalen Potter. It doesn't have his other fights on there, but he did beat Derek Krantz via decision as well. So I believe he's two and zero in the UFC. He has had some good. He might have some more fights in the UFC. So again, um, correct me if I'm wrong here. I could probably pull it up. Let's go on SureDog real quick, and we will find out. So he has. So he lost to Brad Riddell via TKO in Glory of Heroes. Um, he beat Bobby Nash in the UFC. Beat Hector Aldana. In the UFC, he lost to Alex Morano via decision. So both of these guys have lost to Alex Morano via decision. Beat Derek Krantz by decision. Beat Callum Potter by knockout. So he is 4-1 and one in the UFC. 
Max Griffin is four and six. So it's a tough fight for both guys. When you look at the breakdown, um, Max Griffin in his last fight against Ramiz Brahimai, he was doing a lot. He was moving a lot, constantly cutting angles, moving left and right, kind of switching stances. He uses a lot of excess movement, but he, before this last fight with Ramiz, he wasn't really throwing a lot of volume anymore, would try to use his wrestling, or he would just move around to get you to stay, you know, stay, you know, kind of stagnant. And then he would pop you with a jab, pop you with a one, two, pop you with a one, two, three, you know, the two, three, he lands just, just basic combinations with that's not a problem. Basics pay the bills. Um, I think if he uses his wrestling against Kanan song, he can do some good work, you know, work in the over under push Kanan up against the fence, um, land some knees in the clinch, land some knees to the body, you know, work his body, work his legs, then go for a takedown. If he gets up, try to shoot another takedown. Then on the outside, just constantly move, constantly use left, move left and right, fake, fake, boom, pop the jab, fake and faint, move left and right, constantly move around, but make sure you're active when you do it. Because if you just move around, but then Song Kanan or Kanan Song is able to just pop the jab, pop the one, two, pop the two, three, He's going to eventually land more than you, and he's going to land the harder shots, and he's probably going to win a decision. Now, Max Griffin has been dropped in the UFC. Alex Morano caught him with a beautiful combination where he landed some good punches. I think it was a left hook, and then he, he went down like faked the level change and came over with a high kick and caught Max Griffin as he circled towards that direction. So he can get hurt, um, but if he uses his wrestling and uses his jab – and tries to control Song Kanan, that is when he can win. That is how he can win, by using his pace and pressure, pushing him up against the cage, taking him down, making him work, use uh, work from top position, whether it's half guard, full guard, full mount, and, you know, pop, or I guess I, could, I should say half guard or in the guard or in full mount, work some good punches, work some heavy shots, control him on the ground, and get a decision. If anybody's going to get a finish here, I think it's Song Kanan. I think that he definitely has the ability and the boxing ability to get a finish by landing some good shots on the feet. Song is very, very good from his lead side, which is a left side because he's, a, he's an orthodox fighter. He likes to use a lot of jab, lead hook, fake the jab, lead hook. You know, he'll hook and then he'll double jab or he'll go two, three. He's very good with the cross hook. So if he goes cross down the center and then lands the hook, he can definitely work that to his advantage. They're both in the same stance. So if they're both in the same stance, they both have the same weapons. They both have a jab. They both have a right hand. They both have a left hook. We've seen Max Griffin get countered over his jab. You know, we've seen him get countered as he throws the right hand. He'll get countered with a left hook. Or as he throws a punch, he'll get countered over the top with a straight right. And it has hurt him before. And I think that Song Kanan's ability to land, you know, those jabs, hooks, and use that fakes and feints from the lead side to get you to guard up and then boom, boom, throw the one, two, boom, boom, throw the one, two, throw the two, three, throw the one, one, three. He's very good at one at jab, hook, jab, jab, hook. You know, he's using that to catch you as you're circling and kind of keep you trapped in the, in the position and in the space where he needs you to be. And I think that his boxing ability and the way he uses his jabs and the fakes and feints and his ability to land a lead high kick are going to be a big problem for Max Griffin. I think the jab, the fakes and feints, and the lead hook is going to be something that is going to cause problems for Griffin because he's going to be moving around a lot. He's going to be trying to use fakes and feints, land the one twos, land the two threes, you know, land some kicks, and then work in the clinch range and try to get a takedown. But 
you know, the longer you stay there, you're going to be getting picked apart from the outside. Even Derek Krantz, you know, he landed some good shots. He did take down Song Kanan, so his takedown defense is in question. Max Griffin can take him down. He can work from the top. But I just am not at that impressed with Max Griffin, and I can't back him here. I think the boxing, um, the ability to guard up that Song Kanan uses, he'll cover up and counter with a check hook. You know, cover up one, two, one, two, two, three. He's very good with his hook, and he's very good at keeping his hands high. Now, if Griffin's able to use the jab, pop the one twos, and throw pity pat shots to get him to guard up, and then when he goes to counter, you duck under and shoot a takedown and work from the top. He can win, but I can't back Griffin here. He has been dropped. His chin is not the best. He can take shots, but he has been hurt. And the the fact that Song Kanan's, you know, striking is so crisp and so clean, and he uses his his lead hand, you know, in combination, he'll throw three, four, five shots from the same side, you know, hand, and then set up the power too. I think he's going to use those fakes and feints and eventually catch Max Griffin coming in. Hit him with a right hand, drop him, and then get a TKO on the ground. So my pick is the underdog. I think he's a plus 150. So Kanan Song, Song Kanan, to get the victory over Max Payne Griffin via a second-round TKO. So I'm expecting him to get the job done there. And and then also, I mean, we'll move to the next fight on the main card. In the bantamweight division, you've got who some people seem to call the young iteration of Jorge Gamebride Masvidal that is Adrian Yanez who holds a record of 12 victories and three defeats going up another going up against another you know prospect in the UFC and in the bantamweight division that is a uh, Gustavo Lopez um, this is a great fight and this is a fight that the odds do not tell the story but the fact that Yanez has so much praise and so much potential a lot of people have called him the young Masvidal, you know, he's got that swagger. He keeps his hands up, but he can keep his hands low and move around. You know, he'll pop the jab, pop the two, three, and move and kind of just move around, use some fakes and feints. He'll shoulder roll some shots. He'll be able to slip his head out of the way, um, land some good hooks. He's got very good hooks and a very good uh, straight right hand down the middle. A two, three, that's probably one of his best combinations. And he's very good with the hooks from the right and the left side. When he throws the hooks off the right side, it's usually done kind of like a mixture between a hook and an uppercut. So it comes at a weird angle. So the opponent might think it's coming up the middle. He might slip off to the side and get caught with the hook instead of the traditional keep the one side up, pivot on the foot and throw it right from, throw a short hook. He kind of throws it like a hook and an uppercut so you can dig to the body and then boom, come up on the same side. And it'll look almost like the same shot that he used to dig to the body. Um, Giannis, like I said, he's got very good boxing, good combinations, his good ability to see a lot of the shots coming at him. Um, he does have some submissions, but I would give the grappling advantage and the jiu-jitsu advantage to Gustavo Lopez. Um, when you look at a guy like Lopez, he also has good, good pop in his shots. Coming off a big victory over Anthony Burchek, he came in and boom, left hook, dropped him, boom. Um, came in, boom, landed a left hook, dropped him, then boom, 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 landed a right hook and uh, dropped him again, and then eventually was able to get the takedown. Burchek worked his way back up to the feet, got up on a hip, moved around, and eventually Gustavo Lopez was able to get his back, get the hooks in, flatten him out, get the rear naked choke, and get the submission in the first round. Um, you know, Gustavo Lopez is, is a monster, and so is Yanez. This is a fight that is so close. This fight is so close on paper. It is so hard to pick a winner here. And if I'm really going to go out on a limb and guess how I see the fight playing out, 
I think that Yanez is more comfortable on the feet than Gustavo Lopez. What I mean is I think he doesn't mind throwing pity pat shots to then land his power. He doesn't mind, you know, kind of keeping his hands low, moving on the outside a little bit, popping a jab, constantly moving, and then going for the kill. And he's very good at countering an opponent as he comes in. So if somebody comes in, let's say Lopez tries to come in and land a hook, he might cover, and then boom, counter with a hook over the top. So he might cover, boom. Cover, counter, you know, a lot of people, you know, hook, cover, counter, where you cover on the one side and throw the hook. That can definitely be a weapon for um, Yanez. I think his high kicks can be a problem, but he's going to have to watch out for Gustavo Lopez to catch the kick, hike it up, head on the outside, transition head on the inside, lift and dump, and then work from the back. If it goes to the ground, I know Yanez has good submissions. He does have some good submissions in his career. He has been submitted, I believe, or has he never been finished? Let me see. Let's see. Adrian. Check it out right here. Um, he might have only lost via decision. So let's see. So, yes, he lost via decision. Lost via decision. Yeah, so his only losses have come via decision. Gustavo Lopez has been knocked out. He's been submitted before. So there's always a chance that Adrian Yanez can land, uh, you know, catch him on the ground and land a submission. The odds don't tell the story. I think Yanez is like a minus 240, 250 to like a plus 170, plus 180 coming back on Lopez. Those odds are nowhere near how this fight should be played out. I would probably put it at like a minus 150 to a plus 125. Like something like that. It's a close fight. They're both prospects. They both have a similar record. But Giannis is just, like I said, a lot of people are very high on this kid. He's coming off the contender series with a beautiful knockout. You know, landing the right hook. Boom. Checking the left hook. Boom. He's very good with the two, three. But he can also lean forward, kind of pick his shots, and then boom, land the two down the center. The fact he's so composed and he's so good moving laterally, kind of just letting the fight come to him and then landing the kill shots – that is going to be a problem. That's a huge, huge problem for um, Gustavo Lopez because we've seen in some of his fights, um, he has gotten pushed back a little bit and has gotten a little flustered as he backs up and tries to circle. He'll get hit. So I think Giannis can try to time it, use some fakes and feints, maybe fake a shot with a takedown and come up with that right hook uppercut hybrid, you know, throw the left hook two, three, land some good shots. I definitely think that can be a problem for Lopez. If it goes to the ground and and Lopez is able to get the back, he can definitely submit Adrian Yanez. So it's a tough, tough fight to call, but I'm going to go with uh, Adrian Yanez here to get the win. I think he catches Lopez on the feet with that right hook as he steps in. I think Lopez is going to look to land a left hook. He's going to step in and get countered with that mixture between a hook and an uppercut from the right side, get dropped and get finished. So my pick is Adrian Yanez to defeat Gustavo Lopez via. I'm going to go with a third round TKO. I think he drops him as he comes in, lands a shot, and closes the show. Um, like I said, it's close. I would probably put it at a minus 150 to a plus 125 or minus 175, plus 125. It's not – the odds do not tell the story on how close this fight can be. Like I said, a lot of people think Yanez is the next iteration of Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. We're going to have to wait and see, but his his, his – uh, his overall performances and his swagger and his ability to move and see things coming at him in the cage and his comfortability does look like a young game bread. And that's why I'm back in the favor here. So Adrian Yanez to get the win via a third round TKO. All right. 
Now we move to my favorite card fight on the card personally in the co-main event in the lightweight division. You've got the number 15 ranked Gregor the Gift Gillespie, who holds a record of 13 victories and one defeat, going up against Brad Quake Riddell, who holds a professional mixed martial arts record of eight victories and one defeat. Um, you know, this fight is a fight where, you know, do you pick with your head or do you pick with your heart? Because if I pick with my heart, I'm going to ride with Brad Riddell all day. I love his striking. I love his ability to land multiple shots off the same side hand and and mix combinations up. Don't technically throw with a lot of power. Um, slip inside, you know, and, and land the hook. Slip over the top, boom, land the right hand, left hook. Jab, hook, body shot, hook up top, boom, 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 boom. You know, just touching you but just peppering you with shots. He's got good power, though. He can slip and counter with a right hand over the top. Overhand, right, left uppercut, left hook, left body shot. Boom, 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 low kick, front kick. You know, he's got good striking. He's probably got some of the best striking or cleanest striking we've seen in the lightweight division. And that's saying a lot, obviously, you know, not the best striker, but I think he is up there in terms of some of the most clean and technical strikers in the sport of mixed martial arts. He has had some trouble with wrestlers, though. Although he's undefeated in the UFC, although, you know, he has, I think he's 3-0 in the UFC. He's got a victory over Jamie Malarkey. No, he's 4-0. No, wait. Jamie Malarkey, decision. Magomed Mustafayev, decision. Um, Douglas, or Silva de Silva, what, uh, Alex Silva, he's got a decision victory over him. This is his fourth fight in the UFC against the number 15 guy and a phenomenal wrestler. We've seen Riddell main, his main avenue of defending takedowns is the wizard. He'll wizard with the overhook on the one side, sprawl out, get his hips down, and then use that wizard to circle towards the wizard and then push down on the head and uh, get back up, or he'll use that wizard to defend and then get back up to his feet, circle off the cage, and go back to the center. He does get taken down. He doesn't really tend to settle for bottom position. Um, even when he gets taken down, he will eventually, you know, try to work up to a hip, you know, shrimp out, get up to use the overhook, get up, use the over under, you know, and then circle out or use the overhook, get up on a hip and then push down on the head and get back up to his feet. Um, he has done that before. And then as he defends one takedown with a sprawl and gets back up, he can get tripped. He can get, you know, it can go from takedown to takedown. That seems to be where he has a problem. Yes, he can defend one takedown at a time. But when you're chaining takedown attempts together, maybe you go ahead on the inside single, head on the outside double leg. Um, you know, that is where the problems are going to arise. And that is where I think uh, I think Gregor Gillespie takes over here. Um, Gillespie is, he came into the UFC, he was 13-0, and and he got knocked out via head kick at UFC 244 by, you know, Kevin Lee. Um, in a fight where his striking didn't look too bad, but he got hit with a right hand and then a left lead high kick. As he got hit with the right hand, he moved to his right, a.k.a. Kevin Lee's left, and got hit with a high kick and got knocked out, knocked dead. So brutal way to lose your first fight, 13-1. and one. How is he going to come back? How much is the, 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 the knockout play into his, you know, downfall? It's His last fight was at UFC 244. I mean, we're about to hit UFC 260. So it's been almost two years since we've seen Gregor Gillespie, a little over a year. And it's going to be interesting because he looks ready. He looks like he's ready to go. Um, the one thing you cannot say about Gregor Gillespie is that he's one-dimensional. Yes, if he's going to win this fight, he's going to have to rely heavily, heavily on his wrestling. He has to. 
We've seen Brad Riddell get hit and clipped on the feet and gotten hurt when he decides to get his emotions, get the best of him, and he gets into a brawl and he gets angry. That's when he gets clipped. But if Gillespie just constantly comes out and shoots takedown after takedown after takedown and tries to control you from that top mount, um, that's where he's best. his best work is done. It's the top mount. He will give you no space. He will go chest on chest, grapevine your legs, um, hook around the back of the neck and grab the one shoulder, and then he can use that hook around the head and the, and the control on the shoulder to then set up his patented submission, which is an arm triangle choke from the top. But if he can't get the arm triangle, he'll go back to top position and land vicious ground and pound shots. Um, we've seen Riddell get taken down. We've seen him get taken down and scramble and, you know, get back up to his feet. But the fact that he has gotten taken down in his takedown defense, I think it's at like a 60% takedown defense against a guy who's going to chain takedowns together, who's going to keep going forward and get takedowns, that's a problem. That's going to be a problem for Riddell because Gregor Gillespie won't stop. You might stop his initial single leg, then he'll transition to a double leg, then he'll go back to the single head on the inside. Then if you stop that, he'll he'll go, um, he'll go do the duck under and get your back and work from the body lock, and he'll trip your legs out and take you down, and then he will put his shin on the back of your calf to hold that one leg down to avoid the possibility of you getting back up to your feet and building a base. That shin on the back of the calf keeps you down and it makes you have to fight that off to then get back up to your feet. Once you get back up to your feet, boom, he'll suplex you again and trip out the one leg or he'll transition from the body lock to, uh, to when you turn around, he'll shoot another double leg and he'll shoot a head on the inside single head on the outside single and just chain everything together. And yes, once he gets you down in the beginning, he doesn't work a lot of ground and pound, but as the fight keeps going, he will work a lot of heavy, heavy ground and pound. And I, I want Brad Riddell to win. I want him to win. You know, he's very good, like I said, with combinations, with with low kicks, um, with his ability to land the overhand, left hook, lead uppercut, left shot to the body. Brad Riddell is the best with his striking when he's able to land kicks from kicking range or get in close and make it a dirty fight, but still stay technical. You know, a lot of people can get in close and get into a dirty fight and make it, you know, in clinch range, in boxing range, single collars, you know, double collar ties, you know, the tie plum and work. But Brad Riddell will slip inside and come over the top with a right hand. Then he'll go left hook, left uppercut, left body shot, or one, two, three, hook, boom, low kick, front kick, knee, you know, he'll mix it up. He'll, he's good at striking off the break with elbows in the clinch. He's good at coming over the top with the right hand. The thing about Riddell is he turns over his shots and he kind of digs on a downward angle. So it's got a lot of power, but it's coming down at you like a spear. He's kind of digging it in as he comes over. Boom, boom, boom. He's digging those shots in. That can be a problem. Gillespie, though, he does have some good shots. He likes to fake the jab and come in with a lead hook, or he'll fake the takedown and then come in with a lead hook. He's got a good overhand right. We've seen him land it before. He's got a good jab. We saw him use his hands. He kind of keeps his hands out a little bit in front of his face and will parry shots. He'll catch the shots, counter with a jab, catch, move his head, catch, right hand, left hook, catch, fake the jab, left hook, catch, overhand, right, catch, overhand, right. That... That is how um, Riddell, or I'm sorry, that is how Gillespie likes to fight. But if you keep it on the feet against Riddell, eventually you're going to get overtaken and you're going to get beat. But the fact that Gregor Gillespie can chain takedown attempts together, he can stay on the top position and, and control you and give you no space, I think that Gregor Gillespie's wrestling 
plays a factor here, and I think he's able to control Riddell over three rounds. I think it's close. I think Riddell does hurt Gillespie. I think he does land some good shots and hurt him. If the chin is not up to par, Riddell will knock him out. But we haven't seen Riddell really be, be, be a knockout artist in the UFC. So I think the wrestling, the chaining of takedown attempts together, and the relentless pressure of Gregor Gillespie and control from the top gets him a decision win here. So my pick is Gregor Gillespie to get the victory over Brad Riddell via a decision. Um, unanimous decision, 29-28. All right, now let's get into the main event of the evening in the middleweight division. You've got two top 10 ranked contenders going up against each other to stake their claim at getting the next shot at the middleweight champion or being right in line for a shot at a number one contender's fight after this fight. That is the number seven ranked longtime veteran Derek Brunson against the number 10 ranked Trailblazer, Big Mouth, Kevin Holland. Um, it, it's a phenomenal fight. Holland is on a hell of a streak. Um, you know, knocking out, he's got a knockout victory over Fluffy Hernandez, who just upset it. Who upset it? Who just upset um, <laughs> Adolfo Vieira and actually submitted a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt and multiple time world champion. But Jiu Jitsu and MMA is different from Jiu Jitsu in, you know, it's, it's pure form. So it's different. Um, you know, he, he knocked out uh, Jacare Souza from his back. He, you know, with a uh, – he went to do the get-up push on the hip. As he pushed on the hip and got up to – as he pushed on Jacare's hip with the one foot and kicked off and then turned to his hip, he landed a right hand, hurt him, and then got on top of him and finished him. Um, you know, so he's got that victory over Jacare. He's got that knockout victory over Anthony Hernandez. He's got a victory over Darren Stort via decision. And I believe I'm missing one. Let me see. Let's see. Let's see. So knockout victory over Ronaldo Souza in the first round. Submission over Charlie Ontiveros in the first round. Decision win over Darren Stewart. Um, oh, knockout over Joaquin Buckley in the third round. Um, landed the one-two as Buckley tried to slip. Boom, boom caught him and dropped him. Um, he has a knockout victory over Anthony Hernandez. So Hernandez, Buckley, Stewart, and Jacare, and Charlie Ontiveros. He is 5-0 and in his white. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, 5-0 in 2020. Um, he, he's really making a name for himself, and he's got a big test against Derek Brunson. Now, if you look at the records, it's 21-7 and for Derek Brunson to 22-5 and for the Trailblazer Kevin Holland. Both coming off victories. Um, the height difference is a little bit, you know, uh, Kevin Holland has a two inch height advantage, six, three to six, one. Um, he's going to have to use that and use his range and use his kicking game the best he can, but make sure he sets up the kicks against Derek Brunson. Cause, uh, Derek Brunson is going to be probably looking to land that straight left hand and then jump in and try to get some takedowns and use his wrestling and control Kevin Holland up against the cage. Um, if you look at the reach, it's a 77 inch reach for Derek Brunson to a 81-inch reach for Kevin Holland. So that is a four-inch reach advantage for Holland. When you look at win percentages, 57% of wins for Derek Brunson come by way of knockout to 52% of wins come by way of knockout for Kevin Holland. So both of these guys are finishers. Submission 14% for Derek Brunson to 29% for Kevin Holland. Decision 29% Brunson, 19% Kevin Holland. Um, average fight time, six minutes and 32 seconds for Brunson to nine, uh, 14 minutes and 42 seconds 
for Holland. So doubling up and then some on Brunson in terms of fight time is Kevin Holland. Um, knockdown averages per 15 minutes, 0.77 knockdown. So almost one knockdown per 15 minute fight for Brunson. He hits very hard. He's pretty quick, but he just has so much power in his shots. Um, and then zero for Kevin Holland, but he has knocked people down. But usually once he knocks you down, he gets a finish. Um, when you look at the significant strikes, 3.21 landed per minute for Derek Brunson to 4.11 for Kevin Holland. So Holland is the more active fighter with significant strikes landed per minute. Um, significant strike accuracy is also on the side of Kevin Holland, 44% for Derek Brunson to a 63% for Kevin Holland. Um, strikes absorbed per minute. Um, Brunson edges out Holland in terms of his defense with 3.24 absorbed for Derek Brunson to a 3.45 for Kevin, the trailblazer Holland. Um, defense is also on the side of the trailblazer with 59% defense for Kevin Holland to a 53% defense for Derek Brunson. Um, looking at grappling, this is where I think that Brunson is going to have the best opportunity to win this fight. You've got 2.6 takedowns per 15 minutes for Brunson to a 2.04 for Holland. So they're pretty close, but uh, you know, Brunson is going to be looking for more takedowns than Kevin Holland. Takedown accuracy, this is where a lot of people seem to forget. Brunson is a wrestler. He does shoot takedowns, but he's not very accurate, and the stats tell you this. 26% takedown accuracy for Holland or for uh, Derek Brunson to a 66% accuracy rate for Kevin Holland. When you look at takedown defense, it is a 100% defense for Derek Brunson. He has never been taken down in his mixed martial arts career and in the UFC, and it's a 50% takedown defense for Holland. So although he gets taken down, and that can play into the, the game of Brunson. And he has been taken down by Darren Stort. You know, he got taken down by Jacare Souza. He he has been taken down in his career. He's got taken down by Tiago Santos. But he's so active off of his back, and he can damage you off of his back and look to set up arm bars, triangles, omoplatas, and then get back up to his feet and try to knock you out from his back. He gets taken down, but he doesn't mind being on his back because he can finish you from there as well. That is a place Derek Brunson cannot finish you. He's not going to finish you from his back. He will work from the top and probably work most beneficially for him from the half guard and landing ground and pound and landing vicious shots like he did against Edmund Shabazian. Um, when you look at submission averages, it's a 1.7 submission average for Kevin Holland per a 15-minute fight to a 0.46 for Brunson. So Holland's looking to throw up two submission attempts per 15 minutes. You know, he, he gets a lot of submissions, and that's going to be a, a big weapon for him against Brunson. Now, when you break down the fight, the, the thing that with Derek Brunson is, yes, he's got some good wins. He's got a knockout over Edmund Shabazzian, who was formerly undefeated, and that was actually his last fight. He has a uh, – he's got a knockout victory over oh, – who did he uh, – Lyoto Machida. He had a good fight with Robert Whitaker. He, he stunned him a little bit, but then he got caught and hurt by – Robert Whitaker, he has lost via knockout to Jacare Souza. So he's fought some of the best of the best in the sport. He's got a win over Uriah Hall. You know, he, he's fought some of the best of the best in this division. Some of the best that the sports had to offer. Kevin Holland hasn't. But if you look at MMA math and fighting, Holland got knocked, Holland knocked out Jacare Souza and Souza knocked out Derek Brunson with a high kick. Now it was at, it was at different points in their career it wasn't as impressive. It wasn't the same Jacare that Brunson fought when Holland knocked him out. So it's different. You know, you can't take that into account 100%. But when I look at this fight, Brunson is just sloppy, man. 
His best weapon is a straight left hand. He likes to kind of pitter-pat your shots, and that's going to work. They're both going to be looking to get the outside foot. So Brunson's going to be looking to circle to the outside of the lead left foot with his right foot of Holland and then parry down the jab and come through with the straight left hand or just lean over, overextend himself and land the straight left hand and then push Derek Brun- or push Kevin Holland up against the cage, work from an over-under position, try to tire him out and try to get takedowns. The thing is, Yes, Brunson is probably going to take down Holland. Yes, Brunson can knock out anybody. He's got a lot of power. He's got vicious power in his straight left, vicious power in his hooks and his wide shots, um, good kicks, but he doesn't really use them too much. Um, the the pressure and the, from the over-under position and the double-unders up against the cage is where he's going to be looking to tire out Kevin Holland. But the thing is, Holland has good elbows from somebody trying to shoot a double leg. He'll he'll have the overhook, and then he'll land elbows on the one side. He'll land elbows from in close, even if you're just in a body lock or in the double unders. He'll land elbows. He'll land a bunch of punches. He'll try to land knees to your thighs and knee to your body, knee to your head, and drop you. He's got so much power, and he can land from such awkward angles and awkward positions where most people don't tend to get finishes from. And, and that's a big thing in this fight. I think that Brunson is good. I do think he has the ability to win, but I think this is Kevin Holland's fight all day. I think he'll get taken down, but he'll be able to throw up a bunch of submission attempts, discourage Brunson from shooting takedowns, get him tired, uh, go from armbar to triangle to omoplata, back to the triangle, land elbows from the triangle position, land right hooks and left hooks and elbows off of his back. He's so good with the elbows. Um, He's very good at fighting from a side stance as well. I think the side stance might make it a little bit harder for Brunson to find his angles and find his ability to jump in and land that straight left hand. Um, But I think that when it comes down to picking a winner here, I'm going with Kevin Holland to get the victory via a knockout. I think the first round will be close, but I think that even if Brunson gets takedowns, he's going to get beat up from the bottom. He's probably going to get cut up. He's going to get hurt, and he's going to get hurt on the feet with that one-two from Kevin Holland. He's got a beautiful one-two. He also uses a lot of side kicks. He'll throw a side kick to the body from that side stance. He'll throw a lead high kick. He'll throw a rear round kick, some spinning kicks. You know, he does some weird stuff. He fights out of sometimes like a karate side stance, like a Wonder Boy Thompson. And even when he somebody throws shots at him, sometimes he'll be in that side stance, and he'll duck backwards. He'll kind of duck under but roll backwards, and then he'll, he'll you know, shoulder roll, catch on the other side, roll, catch slip, roll, and constantly be moving to avoid a lot of the shots that are coming at him. So Brunson can land, and if he lands, he can knock him out. And if he can use the wrestling like Darren Stewart, he can control him from the top. But I think that Brunson is going to get hurt from the bottom. He's going to get caught up in trying to control him on the on the ground and get caught with some elbows, caught with some punches, and get hurt. And then it'll Kevin Holland will get back up to the feet, and then he'll land some. Uh, probably the one-two is what's going to finish off Brunson. Clean, straight shots are what hurt him against Adesanya. Um, it was a knee originally as he shot a takedown. He timed it with a knee. I think Brunson's going to be looking to – or Kevin Holland's going to look at that and try to probably use that, but I don't think he's going to – that's going to work too well for him. I think if he uses knees and doesn't time it well, Brunson will still catch it, double leg, head, uh, you know, head on the outside, shoot and dump. But, yeah, I'm going with the trailblazer, Kevin Holland, here. I'm backing the favorite again. Um, I think that the the awkwardness, the power, and the ability of Kevin Holland to really finish a fight anywhere the fight goes is going to be his weapon of choice. And he's the more well-rounded guy. He's more comfortable in the cage, I feel. He has the better defense. Kev, um, Brunson doesn't keep his hands up. He lunges into a lot of shots. And uh, he's kind of 
lazy when it comes to his defense. So I think that's all going to play a factor, and I think he's going to leave himself open, and Kevin Holland is going to catch him and get a TKO. I think he drops some jumps on him and gets a TKO in the third round. So my pick is Kevin the Trailblazer Holland to defeat Derek Brunson via a third-round TKO. Like I said, the variety, being able to to finish a fight anywhere the fight goes, the jiu-jitsu can counter the wrestling, and it can make it harder for Brunson to establish top position. And I'm just backing the boy that's the favorite here, Kevin Trailblazer Holland. So, yeah, Kevin Holland to get the victory via third-round TKO. Um, that's it for my predictions. That's it for this episode of the podcast. I'm, I'm sorry. It's been a while. I haven't had a podcast in about two, two and a half weeks. I'm sorry. I'll get back on it. There's going to be a podcast later tonight, I believe, as well, or tomorrow. Um, probably tomorrow, more than likely, on the uh, WWE Fastlane predictions. We're on the road to WrestleMania. We've got one more one more stop before the grandest stage of them all, so we have to recap that. we got to talk about NXT and NXT TakeOver. The next TakeOver looks to be great. I will recap UFC 259 and talk a little bit about the Leon Edwards versus Bilal Muhammad fight. And, yeah, I mean, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I hope you guys are ready to dive into the fights with me and enjoy the fights tomorrow night. Um, yeah, that's going to be it. Um, the pod, the touch of my podcast is available anywhere. You can get your podcast. That includes Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, Spotify, Overcast, and many, many more. I'm your host, Double M and I'm out. Have a good night, everybody. All right.